0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. I want to begin today reading uh, one of my favorite stories uh, by Ken Davis. He writes, a woman happened to be looking out her window, the window of her home one day, and she was horrified to see her German Shepherd dog shaking the life out of the neighbor's pet rabbit. Her family had been quarreling with these neighbors. This was certainly not going to make things any better. She grabbed the broom and ran outside, pummeling the pooch until they dropped the rabbit, now covered with dog spit and extremely dead. After a moment's consideration, the woman lifted the rabbit with the end of the broom and brought it into the house. She dumped its lifeless body into the bathtub and turned on the shower. When the water running off the rabbit was clean, she rolled him over and rinsed the other side. Now she had a plan. She found her hair dryer and blew the rabbit dry. Using an old comb, she groomed the rabbit until he looked pretty good. Then when the neighbor wasn't looking, she hopped over the fence, snuck across the backyard, and propped him up in his cage. No way she was going to take the blame for this thing. About an hour later, she heard screams coming from the neighbor's yard. She ran outside pretending she didn't know what was going on. What happened, she asked innocently. Her neighbor came running to the fence. All the blood had drained from her face. Our rabbit, our rabbit, she blubbered. He died two weeks ago. We buried him and now he's back. (laughs) So today we do not celebrate a cleaned up, blow dried, lifeless Jesus And we do not celebrate a tomb that's emptied because grave robbers came and took the body. We celebrate today because he is risen. He is risen. We celebrate a historic event that changed the course of human history and has continued to change the personal history of lives throughout the last couple centuries. On Good Friday, we remember the death of Jesus. But on Easter, on Easter, we celebrate because his finished work on the cross has been vindicated and confirmed, and he has conquered death, sin, and hell. And that's why we celebrate Easter, that Jesus' death brought us forgiveness, but his resurrection is what gives us life. It's his resurrection that creates new things. The apostle Paul wrote about it to the Roman church. He wrote these words. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. See, it's not just about a day. It's not just about one day out of the year. It's it's about new life. It's about new things being created to something new. It changed the lives of the people who were there on that very first Easter morning. And it has continued to change lives and create new things for centuries now. He can create something new in you today. Wherever you're at, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, he can create something new in you. All because of that first Easter morning. Today, we're gonna look at one of the accounts written by actually a eyewitness to the fact. He was there the very first moment. It says in John 20, John's gospel, verse one, it says, early in the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb And saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of cloth lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. But they did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Skip down to verse 14. Peter and John have left. Now it's just Mary Outside the tomb, and she is sobbing uncontrollably, and Jesus appears to her. And in verse 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. On that first Easter, lives were changed. And for every one of them, it was changed a little bit differently because each of them had different experiences. But their examples and what God did through Christ for them, I think applies to every one of us in this room. At some level or another, because of the resurrection, God creates something new in you and in me. And what we're going to look at today is three different stories. We're going to start with Mary because Mary's story reminds us that God can create hope out of your hurt. You make no mistake, Jesus' death had absolutely crushed his followers. They were totally devastated. They had put all of their hopes and their dreams in him. And at his crucifixion, all of their hopes and dreams died with him. None of them expected Jesus to be resurrected. Mary did not on Saturday night start laying out her clothes saying, this is what I want to wear to the resurrection. (laughs) Peter and John did not have a conversation saying, what's the first thing you're going to say to him when you see him again? And none of them, none of them showed up before dawn on that first Sunday morning, counting down five, four, three, two, one. See, none of them expected the resurrection. In fact, the only reason that the women had gone to the tomb that morning was to provide a proper burial because everything had happened so fast, so quickly. Jesus had been arrested, put on trial overnight. The very next day, he was crucified. And because the next day was going to be a Sabbath, they had to bury him quickly. Otherwise, he was going to remain on that cross all the way through that weekend. And so before sunset on that Friday, they had to take him down off the cross Put him in the grave. But they didn't even have time to properly prepare the body. And the next day was the Sabbath, so they couldn't do anything. So it wasn't really until Sunday morning that they went to the tomb. And it says, Mark tells us why. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. They thought it was all over. They were just going to go give him a proper burial. They were all Disappointed. It was hopeless now. And I think particularly for Mary. Because if you know Mary's story, she had a troubled background. Jesus had relieved her of the tormenting demons that she had experienced. And she became a follower of his and it utterly changed her life. She is one of the few people who are mentioned specifically that was there at the cross When Jesus was crucified, she was one of the few who were there when he was buried in that tomb. And she is one of the few who are there that next morning when the tomb is empty. And as Peter and John have left, and it's just Mary there, she is so overcome by her grief that she is not just weeping a little tear, she is bawling her eyes out. In fact, John makes the point twice in his gospel. Twice, he says, she was sobbing, totally overcome with grief broken and hurt like never before. So much so that when Jesus shows up, she doesn't even recognize him. He shows up to her and he says, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? She thought he was the gardener. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him. Maybe that's your story. Life didn't turn out the way you expected by now you thought you'd be married. By now maybe you thought your career would be on a trajectory, or, 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 or by now you thought you would have a family. And it just hasn't worked out the way that you expected. You've experienced grief, you've experienced loss, you've experienced disappointment and hurt. And in very often, it kind of comes in waves. You ever had that where it's just like one thing after another, after another, and you think to yourself, What else could possibly go wrong? And you were just barely holding it together. Your nerves are on edge. And then that one thing happens that puts you over the edge and you totally lose it. That's Mary on that Saturday morning, Sunday morning. She is devastated and doesn't even recognize her. And when you're in that place, you're just asking yourself, I don't know if I can make it through. I don't know if I have what it takes. And 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 what you really start asking is, God, where are you? And the answer to that question is, He is right there. You may not see Him, you may not recognize, but He is right there with you in the grief because He understands your grief. In fact, He overcame your grief. He overcame your brokenness. He overcame your hurt. That's what the resurrection says. And all you need to know is to know that He is there. And that's what Jesus gives her. And he doesn't have to explain everything. All he does is he says to her, Mary. He calls her name. We used to sing a song around here years and years ago. The name of the title of the song was He Knows My Name. And the chorus of the song goes like this He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call. All he has to say to her is her name, Mary. And it says that she turned around and said to him, Teacher, at the mention of her name from his lips, she knows he's there. See, what the resurrection says to us is even the worst thing that happens is not the worst. There is hope even in your hurt and in your brokenness second thing the resurrection tells us is that God can create meaning out of our confusion. The next story is kind of talk about Peter and John, particularly about Peter. It says when Mary finds that the tomb is empty, she runs and finds Peter and John and they actually have a foot race to the grave. And, and John, by the way, if you read John's gospel and he refers to the disciple that Jesus loved, he's talking about himself. He doesn't refer to himself by name. He just says, I'm the one Jesus loved. Okay? And, and he makes it really, really clear who got to the tomb first in fact he actually repeats it three times they went running but the disciple jesus loved got there first now he didn't go in peter went in first but the disciple who jesus loved he went in after him and, and believed peter and john see an empty tomb they see the linens but they still don't get it it says they saw the strips lying there and as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, it's not like they had never been told. In the Gospel of John itself, 47 times Jesus talks about this idea of eternal life. 11 times he speaks specifically about a resurrection, and of those 11, seven times he tells them it's about his own resurrection, they had heard him talk about this over and over again. They had been there just a few weeks earlier when Jesus actually raised Lazarus from the dead. If anybody should have understood what this was all about, it would be those guys. They're confused. They don't understand. And maybe, maybe that's you today. Life is going to hit you in such a way that you just can't, you don't know what's going on. It's confusing. You don't understand. That's Peter. That's John. In fact, maybe more so, Peter. Because if you don't know the story of Peter, see, Peter, he was one of the inner circle of Jesus 12. Out of the 12, there were three, Peter, James, and John. They were the closest. They got some special insight in times with Jesus without the other disciples. Peter, Peter was like a number one draft pick of the disciples. He was MVP. He was the guy who actually walked on water when all the other guys stayed in the boat. He was the one who made the declaration, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was the one that spoke up and said things that everybody else was thinking. That's Peter. But every time Jesus would start talking about his impending death and what was going to happen, Peter would almost kind of take him aside and said, Jesus, you got to stop that kind of talk. Ixne on the F day talk, okay? It's kind of a buzzkill, all right? And all the other guys are going to get discouraged. You've got to quit talking that way. You've got to be a little more positive. And on the last night that they spent together at a meal, Jesus warned Peter. Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me not once, not twice, three times. And Peter, of course, speaks up. And what he says is, Lord, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Even if I have to die for you, I will never disown you. Remember what your mom told you about always and never? (laughs) Well, sure enough, before that next morning, he had done exactly like the Lord had told him. And so even with his confusion on top of that is that shame and that guilt. I think one of the things that makes this story so compelling is that even those who thought would be the believers don't believe it and it's real life people because see I am sometimes like Peter there are moments when I am full of faith and confidence and God's in control and I've got no worries no questions no anything and then the very next day I'm filled with anxiety and wondering and confusion and all of us have been there and that's Peter but here's the thing God can take those questions and those failures and he can redeem them and create something new. That's what he does with Peter. He reinstates him. He reinstates him. He in fact Peter actually becomes the head of the church. Peter is the one. Peter, who couldn't even admit that he was a follower of Jesus back in front of a peasant girl, now stands up just a couple weeks later in Jerusalem to a crowd of people and saying, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised from the dead. Peter is changed. And Peter becomes the head of church. And later on in his life, he writes letters to the churches. And in fact, in one of his letters, he writes these words. He writes, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Now, don't you think as Peter is writing those words, he's thinking about the time he wasn't prepared? And the words of encouragement that he gives other Christ followers carry a lot more weight because of his experience. See, that's what God does. He redeems your experiences, even, even your failures. And see, listen, if death is not a problem for Jesus, none of your failures are either. And the resurrection tells us that, that wherever you've been, whatever you've done, God can redeem it, even your failures. And the resurrection tells us one more thing, that God can even create faith out of your doubt. A little bit later that evening, Disciples are gathered together, and Jesus actually appears to all of them, gathered together, huddled together in an upper room, closed off locked doors, and Jesus appears. But one of the disciples is missing, a guy named Thomas. You know Thomas. Thomas goes by the nickname Doubting Thomas. Thomas is not there. And the next day, the other disciples see Thomas, and they tell him what they've experienced and how they saw Jesus and how he really was alive, and he says to them these words. He says, listen, unless... I see the nail hands, nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his sight, I will not believe. Now, I personally think Thomas has been given a bum rap. His name's become synonymous with doubt. But I think the truth of it matter is this it wasn't so much that he didn't believe in a resurrection, he just wanted to know it for himself. See, Nobody else's experience is going to be good enough for you. Nobody else's experiences is good enough for me. I have to experience for myself. You have to experience for yourself. And I think that's what Thomas is saying. Thomas is saying in essence if I could paraphrase the song, I won't believe in no ghosts. <laughs> he wants to see the real Jesus. And that's what he's asking for. That's the truth of the matter. Every one of us has to have our own encounter with Jesus. Every one of us deal with doubts, questions, even believers. But here's what you need to understand. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. In fact, your doubt can lead you to faith. Sometimes we talk about faith as if it's that we're, we're trying to believe an impossible thing for no good reason. But see, that's not what Thomas is asking for. We talk about a leap of faith as if you're just going to put yourself out there for no good reason. But, but that's not what faith is all about. In, in the book Alice in Wonderland, Lewis, Lewis Carroll's book, uh, Alice has an encounter with the Queen of Hearts. And the Queen of Hearts asks Alice, how old are you? And she says, I am seven and a half exactly. And the queen says to her, you don't have to say exactly. I believe you. Now here's something you can believe. I am 101 five months and a day. And Alice says, I can't believe that. And the queen says, well, you got to try harder. Just close your eyes and hold your breath. <laughs> try harder and you can believe. And Alice says, I can't believe impossible things. She says, I dare say, child, you haven't had enough practice. Why? I, when I was your age, I could believe six unbelievable things in just in the morning before breakfast. See, sometimes we think of faith as it's just an, a, a lack of reason, a lack of thought, but that's not biblical faith. And that's not what Thomas is asking for. What Thomas is asking for is a real encounter with Jesus. You cannot make yourself believe something by trying harder. But what you can do... What you can do is what Thomas did. Because the next time the disciples gather together, he's make sure he's there. See, if you struggle with doubt, if you've got questions, if you're skeptical about this whole Jesus death and resurrection thing, here's one of the best things you can do. This is so important that you need to put yourself in a place with other people who do believe. You need to do what Thomas does and take it seriously enough to investigate for yourself. Because see, that's what Thomas did. Thomas was a follower of Jesus. He had spent time with him. He listened. He learned. He sought. And he found. And the next time the followers of Jesus gathered together, he is there. So here's what you do with your doubt. Here's what you do with your skepticism. You put yourself in a community of faith where you can learn and seek and find for yourself. Because that's where Jesus will meet you. That's what he did with Thomas. The next time they're gathered and he's there, Jesus appears again. And this is what he says. He turns specifically to Thomas and he says, here, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. The very things that Peter, that Thomas thought he needed to be able to believe, Jesus offers him everything that he said. See, he will meet you even in your doubt. But it turns out, what Thomas thought he needed to believe, he didn't really need after all. Because in John's account, there's no record that he actually reached out and put his finger in the hand and put his hand in the side. What he did was he fell to his knees and said, my Lord and my God. Sometimes we think we can't believe and these are the obstacles to our faith when in truth, all we just need to do is open ourselves up to an encounter with him. And that will be enough. John finishes his book with these words. He says, Jesus did many more things than are recorded in this book. I suppose that if everything he did was recorded, there would not be a library big enough to contain all the volumes. But he said, what I've written here." These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Paul Metzger writes these words Whether we are doubters like Thomas or deniers like Peter, there is a place for us in Jesus' story as one of His followers. Like He does with Thomas, Jesus will lead us from doubt to deep devotion. Like he does with Peter, Jesus will lead us to the riches of restoration. Like he does with John, Jesus will overwhelm us time and time again. As with Nicodemus who buried Jesus and Mary Magdalene who experiences Jesus, risen Jesus at the tomb, Jesus will blow us away with his love, raise us to new life, and make us new. See, the resurrection tells us that everything that Jesus said it's true, and every promise that He made, He can fulfill. If death is not a problem for Him, nothing in your life is either. Would you bow your heads with me. This church is for imperfect people. From the beginning, we have wanted to be a church for hurting people. For questioning people For seeking people Even for doubting people Because those are the very things That bring us to Jesus And if you come to Him today With your hurts Or your confusion Or your failures Or your doubts He will take those things And create something brand new And you might be here this morning and and you are a Christ follower. You made that decision years and years and years ago, but you've been hurt or you've been burned or you've given up on faith because it felt like God wasn't there. Or you have failed so many times that you've just kind of given up on the idea that God could possibly forgive you one more time. Or... You've removed yourself from a community of faith. You've just kind of drifted away. And in drifting away from a community of faith, you have drifted from your faith itself. Here's the news of the resurrection. God can take every one of those things and create something new. But you have to make a decision about it. In the same way that Mary and Peter, Thomas, had to make a decision. You've got to make a decision put your trust and your faith in Him. And if you're here today, and maybe you made that decision long ago, but because of some hurt, because of some doubt, because of some failure, you've given up, can I invite you today to let God take that and make something new? Would you let Him? If that describes you in any way, something we do every weekend is give people a chance to respond. It's a decision that you make, and we ask you to do something just to raise your hand, to let us know so we can pray with you and pray for you so if that describes you in any way and for you it's a, it's a fresh start it's a new beginning it's, it's reigniting that flame that once burned brightly and I could pray for you would you just do that would you just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment and as you do look up and catch my eye And if you're in the tent or or out in the lobby or watching us online, you can make that decision too. And I encourage you, there'll be somebody there. We'd love love to talk with you and and help you move forward in this. And, And lastly, if you're here and you've never taken that first step of faith. But today, God's speaking to you. And maybe you've been skeptical. Maybe you've had this stuff. Listen, you can make a decision to start following even before you fully believe. That's what the disciples did. It took them three years before they got to the point where they really understood. So you can start following now and let him teach you. And if you've never made that decision, but today it's a first step of faith for you, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. And maybe you already raised your hand, but but if this is a first step of faith, would you do that? Would you just raise your hand once again in the tent, out in the lobby, right here in our room? First step of faith. Just raise your hand, and as you do, look up, catch my eye, so I can pray with you for you as we close. All right. All right. Just make this your prayer. Lord, here I am with my hurts, with my brokenness, with my doubts and questions, with my failures, my confusion. And I'm just admitting them all to you. And what I'm asking, Lord, is what you did on the cross, that forgiveness would would rest on me. God, that you would take me just the way that I am. I am turning my life into your hands. I'm acknowledging my need. And I'm just asking that you would create something new in me today. We are praying in Jesus' name.